down women with diluted dreams of hope for joy has been washed down the street. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the solitude. Richland County is located in north central Ohio and boasts a total of nearly 500 square miles and a population of about 125,000 residents. Named for its rich, fertile soil, this rolling farmland was home to the Delaware and other Native American tribes. The county was formed in 1808 and its boundaries were originally established by the Treaty of Greenville, and later, in 1813, its borders were reconfigured due to the boundary changes enforced by the Treaty of Fort Industry. Emerging from the vast Ohio woodlands came the hardworking, entrepreneurial-spirited pioneers who cleared the land for farming and in the process formed a burgeoning economy for the region and triggered a population explosion in the area. Industrialization and urbanization led to establishing Mansfield as its county seat. In the early 19th century, Mansfield grew into one of the largest manufacturing communities in the country. Nestled just to the south of Richland's county seat rests the green plush farmland that caught the eye of Pulitzer Prize-winning author Louis Bromfield. In the late 1930s, this world traveler and New York socialite became increasingly interested in farming and conservationism and decided to return to his Ohio agricultural roots. So he purchased those 1,000-plus picturesque acres and named his farm Malabar, an Asian word meaning beautiful valley. For well over a year, Bromfield and his architect planned and designed his farm's 32-room big house, which later became the venue for the wedding of Hollywood power couple Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Located about 15 miles to the north and slight west of Malabar Farm, lies the pristine and prestigious grounds of Kingwood Center Gardens. Built in 1926 by the Ohio Brass Company's first electrical engineer, Charles Kelly King, the luxurious 47-acre estate was home to Mr. King and his second wife, Louise. Eventually becoming chairman of the board of Ohio Brass, Charles King hired the Cleveland landscape architectural firm Pitkin and Mott to develop the grounds into a garden worthy enough to match the beauty and elegance of its colonial revival mansion designed by Cleveland architect Clarence Mack. With wealth on the rise and in order to accommodate the essential sporting needs of Richland County's aristocratic class, the Westbrook Country Club's outgrown and overplayed nine-hole golf course 
which was originally located on the grounds of a horse pasture, was relocated to an area just two miles north of Kingwood Center. Resting atop nearly 200 acres and featuring a course planned by world-renowned designer Donald Ross, the club served as a utopian getaway for the area elite. Once idyllic, private, and surrounded by the quaint countryside, Westbrook became victim to the area's booming still industry and was quite bothered by the changes that began to take place. As Appalachian men migrated north to meet the demand for workers at the local steel mill, a quickly and crudely erected neighborhood emerged around the country club's setting. Not wanting to see or to be seen by these new tenants, whose standards of living were less opulent than their own, the club members erected a chain-link fence around the perimeter of the grounds and planted a line of trees to help further protect them from the nuisance of the surrounding lower-class residents. When we were young, my sisters and I attended Empire Elementary School, named for its partnering sponsor, the Empire Reeves Steel Company, which served as the mill's owner during my childhood. As children, we often walked the mile distance to school, strolling along the country club's northern perimeter of Hannah Road. As the youngest, I sometimes lagged behind but it wasn't because of my age or size. On occasion, I would sneak up to the towering metal fence with its protective barbed wire awning, peer through the link holes, past the tree-lined barrier, just to catch a glimpse of the plush green grass and the magnificent grandeur of the hilltop clubhouse. I remember one particularly warm day I glanced in and imagined what it would be like to swim in the cool waters of the club's gated and guarded pool and then change into a sporty white skirt and fanciful shoes. I even pictured an older me wearing a colorful cashmere sweater tied loosely around my neck as I played a round of golf. Even though I had neither seen nor held an actual golf club. Life is very different for those of us living on the other side of that sheltered fencing. Sixteen years earlier, Clyde Sonny Adkins might have walked along that very same road, sporting a Roy Rogers and Trigger buttoned-up shirt with two lucky horseshoes emblazoned on its collar tips. The year was 1956, and newly constructed Empire Elementary School had opened its doors to students. Sonny was eight years old that year, and on school picture day, he wore the Western-style shirt in honor of his hero, the King of the Cowboys. It's quite possible that Sonny, like many young people from that neighborhood, 
peeked through the towering fence and stole a glance of the privileged class. Sonny's family moved from Mud Creek, Kentucky to Little Kentucky in 1954 as his dad joined his brothers on a northern trek searching for employment opportunities. At the time of their move, Sonny's mom had just given birth to her 10th child, a daughter who was only 10 days old when the family settled into a two-room house that had originated as a chicken coop. In spite of his impoverished lifestyle and the hardships that his family faced, he was quite happy in his new home as it afforded him a wealth of nearby relatives. Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Red moon of little Kentucky, keep on trying. Time passed, and the two-room house expanded into a six-room dwelling that included an indoor bathroom, complete with running water and a flushing toilet. Three siblings were added to the clan, bringing the total number of children born to his parents to 13. However, a sister and brother died in infancy due to unrelated illnesses, and for over a decade, his 11 family members struggled through their impoverished lives and weathered many difficult challenges. But through all of their adversities, they were held together by the gentle love and guidance of their beloved mother, Sarah. Those who knew her often described her as a mom to anyone who needed a mother. She was said to be generous to a fault, soft-spoken, witty, hard-working, and could yodel better than the queen of yodeling herself, Rosalie Allen. In 1959, after the birth of her 13th and final child, Sarah was diagnosed with uterine cancer. She underwent surgery and extended treatment and was eventually declared cancer-free. Six years later, in the fall of 1965, her cancer returned and had spread throughout her body. Sarah's children ranging in ages from 6 to 23, spent their last Christmas with their dear mother as she passed from this world in January of 1966. Sonny's father worked hard to keep his family together and relied on his older children to help care for the younger ones. Sonny was 17 at the time, no longer a child, but unprepared for the responsibility of adult life. He worked several odd jobs, but never found anything substantial or stayed long enough to know if it would lead to meaningful employment. His siblings described his mood as extremely depressed and said that he was inconsolable after the loss of his mother. He began to distance himself more and more from his family and friends and retreated heavily into alcohol. 
in an effort to straighten out his life, Sonny enlisted in the Army and returned to his family for a brief visit after basic training. But instead of reporting to his military assignment, he chose to accompany some friends on a road trip to Florida. During that excursion, the trio of men robbed a convenience store and Sonny was sent to federal prison because he stole postage stamps, which are government property, while he was committing that crime. After serving one year in prison, he was paroled and allowed to return to Mansfield, Ohio, after agreeing to abide by certain conditions for his release. He spent his time between his dad's house on Prior Road and by staying with older sisters or friends. His habit of heavy drinking returned, sinking him further into a pit of despair and desolation. Sonny's dad arranged for him to get a job alongside him, hoping to help him get on his feet financially, but more than likely, it was so that he could keep a close eye on his fragile and forlorn son. While his siblings strive to cope with life without their mother, their bright spot on this earth, Sonny often spoke to them about death and the afterlife. He talked frequently about missing his mom and wishing to be with her and asked many questions about heaven and hell. Try as they did to persuade him to talk to a preacher and to help him move on from his grief, he refused to comply with their wishes. Struggling with their own family issues and not having the means or knowledge to help him obtain professional counseling, his family members and friends continued to listen, encourage, hope, and pray for him to get out of his funk and to get on with his life. On a warm spring day, with no hopes for his future and no happiness in his heart, 22-year-old Sonny Adkins walked around the neighborhood of Little Kentucky. Maybe his stroll led him down Hannah Road along the chain-linked fence of the Westbrook Country Club. Perhaps he stopped for a moment to admire the affluent golfers laughing heartily between holes as they embellished their golf scores and discussed finances. At that point, the only thing Sonny was certain of was that, on his side of the metal barricade, life was quite different, especially for the people of Prior Road. Next, he walked on to Julia Underhill Park, where he saw a shy and pretty girl standing by the swings with two small children at her side. And maybe they caught each other's eye and he smiled at her as he walked by. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the street. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women. 
Searching for love